What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm. I am joined by Chris Grenham and Nicole Yang. And uh, how are you guys doing? Before tip-off today, Scal was going over his keys to the game, and the first one was play hard. So the fact that he had to even say that, I feel like is pretty telling of where we're at here. The ebbs and flows of this team, man. I can't, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. Yeah, the swings have just been like just incredible highs, incredible lows. Incredibly so, dramatic. What you said it yesterday was a great way to put it. Yeah. All right. So do we want to talk about the Thunder game first? <laughs> we have to talk about the Thunder game. That was incredible. All right. All right. So we're recording this after the Celtics beat the Hornets 120 to 111. But we'll start with the Thunder game dubbed the worst loss of the season by essentially everyone um, except for Brad Stevens. Yeah, I mean, what, what stood out to you guys about that one? Obviously, Thunder lost 14 in a row. Like, they turned the ball over 27 times and the Celtics still couldn't win. Like, what's the, uh, what's the big takeaway from the Thunder game? I honestly don't know where to start with that game. <laughs> like, I'm, being, I'm not even trying to, like, exaggerate here. It was pretty wild to watch because that was we, – we spoke about it last time we recorded, looking at this last, like, 12, 10-game stretch, whatever it is, to close the regular season, there's so many winnable games. And the Thunder – we're right at far at the top of that list. Like that's an easy win. And my main takeaway from that is like this team, they're so close. It felt like at least earlier in the month to finally like hitting their stride. And then suddenly they're losing the one game that they're almost guaranteed to win. When you look at the schedule, my real takeaway was like, that's just so costly. You can't cough up games like that when you're trying to push into the playoffs and halfway through the game, it looked like they didn't even realize that it was like, this is a really not a game you can just give up. And even in the fourth quarter, when the Celtics needed to get some stops, they couldn't get us up. They gave up 41 points in the fourth quarter. There was just no, like Jalen Brown said, no urgency there whatsoever. And to me, it was just really more costly than anything else because they're not going to win all of their games to close out the regular season. So they need to win games like this. And they just coughed it right up. And speaking of costly, I'm pretty sure the Hawks, Knicks, and Heat had all lost. So that really would have been an opportunity for them to make up some ground in the standings. And they completely botched it. And you want to talk about the Celtics bench being young and inexperienced. I'm pretty sure the average age of the available Thunder players was like 20.7 years old. Like I understand that Kemba Walker, Robert Williams, Jason Tatum, all were unavailable, but like you should still be able to take advantage of this team. This is just yikes all around. So fully agree. The one thing I will say, and Brad talked about it after the game, he said, uh, I rewatched last night and it was what I thought. We turned them over. We played hard on the defensive end. We settled and we ended up not making enough shots to win. 
um, and they made a ton. It wasn't as bad as advertised. Like, yes, they definitely should have beat the Thunder. The players who were in the game should have beat the Thunder. But like the Celtics keep talking about how they want to see their whole team together. They want to see like they haven't been healthy all year. They, they weren't healthy again. So maybe the point is just that like if they're not fully healthy, they, they're just not going to be a good basketball team. And then when they get closer to fully healthy, when Jason Tatum's available, then they can actually win some of these games. I think that's true against a handful of teams, but not against the Thunder, who <laughs> is younger fair. than most college basketball teams. And also, I just don't fully agree with Brad because they didn't play hard on defense against the Thunder at all. In the fourth quarter, when the Thunder were getting inside at will in that 16-4 to run, there were a couple of possessions where it legitimately looked like the Celtics had given up. I do not buy Brad's quote saying like, oh, we played hard on defense. They did not against the Thunder. And it was like very much the feeling of earlier in the season where it just looked like they were just waiting for OKC to kind of roll over. It most definitely was as bad as advertised. Like <laughs> It's just a fascinating quote. Like, I don't understand why. Like, if he doesn't think that, I don't understand why that's worth his time, I guess. But I mean, yeah. it's probably not worth him like burying the team either. Like, I think... Jalen Brown definitely appears to be a little bit sensitive to what the media is saying, or they're mm. paying attention to it. Like they hear it. So if their coach is contributing to that, like, I'm not really sure how that would create like a productive environment. Like, I also don't think like saying the game was as bad as advertised is saying like, Oh, the season is over. Like no one is yeah, really yeah. saying yeah. that or like, Oh, the season's oh. done. It's more well, so a lot of people are saying, like, that, but <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm not. I'm yeah, you're right. There are people saying that. I don't think any of us three are saying that. That being said, like it was I totally agree with Nicole, like it was as bad as advertised. And I don't think you can see the way they got clapped by Charlotte on Sunday. And then you watch the way they come out against a team whose front office is actively trying to lose. And they get smacked again. Like watching that was very eye opening to me. Like this is bad like this team does not have a lot of pride and it, yeah it was nice to see him come out against Charlotte on Wednesday and kind of wake up a little bit but it's impossible to ignore their response to getting punched in the mouth on Sunday by losing to the Oklahoma City Thunder I think that's another trend that actually Gary Washburn of the Globe has been pointing out a lot in his columns like the Celtics just seem to have no pride like Luca beats them and then the next time they play the Mavs they just let Luca do the exact same thing or they lose pretty badly and you think like, oh, they want to show like, no, like we're contenders, like we won't blow another lead or we're not going to lose to an inferior team and they still do it. And just as you described, like they lose an important game to the Hornets and then they lose to an even worse team against the Thunder. And Gary was talking about pride back when there were like 25 plus games left. Like now you, it's not even about pride. It's just pure urgency. And like the clock is ticking. Like you shouldn't even need like pride to motivate you. Like there are like actual implications. Like there are legitimate consequences at stake now that if you lose these games, like you could be in the playing game. So the fact that they still can't motivate themselves is like a little bit, I don't know, just like head scratching. Yeah. I can't remember where I was listening to it, but somebody was pointing out like this team doesn't, I think it might've been Mike Gorman. This team really might not want to get itself into a play in game situation because like there doesn't seem to be any indicator that we know that they'll come out and take care of business and even potentially get to face uh you know the number two seed or the number one seed you'd think that they would still be able to turn it on once the playoffs come like that's a reason to be optimistic like okay fully healthy fully motivated bunch that's trying yeah who knows what could happen but I don't know. I feel like it's a total toss up a lot of the time with this team, just because of the wild inconsistencies that we see from them. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really 
odd and head scratching, I think is a good, is a really good way to put it. But I thought it was pretty funny after the OKC game that an active argument going on on Twitter was, was this the worst loss of the year or not? You're like, well, if we're having this conversation, it's probably an issue to begin with, or that should tell you all you need to know. It, it really is tough to like suss out like this team isn't going to be able to consistently be good enough to go on like a real playoff run. Right. right? But like they had the six game winning streak where they were pretty good, where like, you know, Jason Tatum was excellent and like they were relatively healthy and it's like, okay, like maybe they could push a team in the first round. Like you don't know, or, you know, take a first round series if they are in the four or five matchup, like they have shown these flashes of, of being pretty good, but then yeah, you get the stretches where they lose three in a row and and two of them are to like Charlotte and, uh, and OKC. And then, yeah, that's like the team that you almost kind of come to expect this year. Right. And like, no matter how down we sound about this team, I do think there are some like firm truths that this podcast, like as a collective believes in, which is that Jason Tatum is like a superstar is going to be an MVP candidate one day, like no concerns about his future as a basketball player. Jalen Brown is also a very good basketball player, probably going to make an all NBA team, like no concerns about his future, like there's no doubt about that and that covid affects like how you play basketball because like obviously evan fournier has been extremely disappointing so far however like i don't think in good conscience you can really criticize his contributions knowing that he tested positive for covid and is trying to get up to speed with like a new team and like we saw that with jason tatum we've seen that with so many other athletes so like yeah has he been bad yes but like, I don't really think that it's fair to like criticize him that much right now. For sure. And that's like one of the weirdest things about trying to analyze this team is that like they have these stretches where it's like you can't you literally can't call it anything else, but just like awful basketball. They're a bad basketball team right now. You know, whatever it is, there are stretches where they are that. And yet there's all these like circumstances that the team doesn't want to make excuses. They don't want to say X, Y or Z, but it's like, yeah, dude. The One thing that always comes into my mind when I criticize this team that I do think is a le- not an excuse, but a le- like a legitimate point in almost every conversation is like the lack of health they've had and how many COVID games they've missed. Like, I think that does legitimately impact their on-court ability is that like they all haven't played together. Like that's a real problem. And so when this team is going through these horrid stretches and I'm criticizing the hell out of them, yeah, they suck for a lot of these games like against the Thunder, but they are there are all these elements, like Brad Stevens said, Alvin Fournier is still a little foggy. He's still working his way back from COVID, not to mention the fact that he's barely even played with this team, so he's got that going on. And like there's just hasn't really been a whole lot of lineup chemistry for these guys, so that is like a real, real problem that I think is legitimate. But when I think about that or I hear people talking about the Brad Stevens and like, is he on the hot seat kind of thing? If they go through another like losing stretch like they did over the last week, a lot of times when teams go through like nasty struggles, the coach is the guy to go regardless. That's just sometimes how pro sports work. So maybe that could be the case down the road. I don't think we're anywhere near that at this point. Maybe it could be the case down the road. But I watched some of these games like against OKC. It's an extreme example because they were really bad. But like I'm, I'm watching that game. I'm like, what? what does this really have to do with Brad? Because they're like, I'm watching. I'm like, these guys are not really working as hard as they can. Brad can like do all he can to prepare them and stuff, but it is up to them to go out and do it. And in a lot of these games where they really, really struggle, they're just blatantly not doing it. <laughs> like, and so I, I do feel the need to like give a little sympathy toward the coaching staff sometimes. 
I agree with you, Grenham. I think that it's more just if they need to make a change at some point because things just aren't working, it's going to be Brad. I think that's across like all all pro sports. Yeah. Like if things yeah. aren't working, you go to the head of the snake. Well, not really the head of the snake. More like kind of like the upper. I mean, the head yeah, of the yeah. Snake. maybe maybe like the Adam's apple of the snake. Yeah. Or something. yeah. <laughs> To your earlier point, though, about the lineups. So the Celtics used their 29th starting five against the Thunder. They haven't used any lineup more than 10 times, which is crazy because they're like through 60 plus games now. They haven't had the same starters for more than four straight games at any point this year. And Evan Fournier was the 17th player to start for the Celtics this season. And that includes four players who aren't on the team anymore. Yeah, that, that's crazy. An entire an entire roster plus two-way contracts has started yeah. Celtics this year. I mean, Tremont Waters started tonight. So right, let's yeah. take it easy. Let's take it easy. Clearly, there's no continuity. And you can add to the list of like truths, like Robert Williams has a really bright future ahead of him. Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith have really bright futures ahead of them. But like considering all of those truths and considering all of the lineup problems, you can still come to the conclusion like this year just might not be it. And like that's not an indictment on like the future of these individual players. That's not indicative of maybe what next season will look like. But like we've got nine games left here. Yeah. And the Celtics could still be in the play-in game. And who knows, like we mentioned on the last episode, if they can get the 4-5 matchup, build some consistency, everyone stays healthy, maybe they go into the second round with, we're having a completely different conversation about this team at that time. I just think the chances of that happening are getting smaller and smaller, but I just don't want that to be misinterpreted as like how we feel about the individual players or what next season could bring. It's just, I think it's sort of an acceptance point of like this year, just isn't it. There's some value in just kind of thinking to yourself, like, okay, like, you know, the Celtics winning the championship, like, think about it. Like, come on, man. (laughs) Like that's like, that's not going to happen. And I feel like you can, you know, some of these matchups in the playoffs are almost the same way. It's just like, Eh, I don't think they're going to win that one. Wednesday night is a perfect example of like why maybe next year or like, you know, the future might be kind of bright, right? Because like it wasn't that polished, but down the line, you're like, okay, this team could be pretty good if Aaron Neesmith can put up 15 points in a game. Like then it's like, oh, okay. Like if Peyton Pritchard, you know, knocks down a couple deep threes, if if, if they're getting 73 points combined from Jalen and Jason, yeah, this team could be pretty good. They looked pretty good against a good Charlotte team. You're just, you're not going to get that consistently enough this year, maybe next year. Like maybe everybody just gets a little bit better next year and this could be a more consistent thing. I think that's, I think that's a reasonable thing to, to think. I do too. Yeah. And I also think this podcast has been relatively consistent on our Aaron Neesmith thoughts, like not that fair really to judge him earlier in the season because you know summer league condensed training camp and he played barely at all his sophomore year at Vanderbilt. So he really only played like a year. I think it's pretty impressive seeing what he's done throughout an odd season like you just said with not a whole lot of practices like he's progressed pretty well and he brings a lot of energy to a team right now that often struggles to bring their own energy so that makes a nice impact moving forward but I totally agree like if he can provide that value off the bench moving forward into next year like that's a huge boost like Nicole said before we're very confident in Jalen and Jason as players so like yeah I, I think that's a great way to look at this game it's like yeah it provides a positive look on this team's longevity 
I kind of think Aaron Neesmith is going to be nice. Like, I think I, he's going to be a good player. He I, might I, be pretty good, actually. No, I, I do, too. I do, too. He's got, it's funny. If, like, if you told us back during draft time that, like, Aaron Neesmith's first season in the NBA, he'd be flying around like an insane person and, like, jumping over people, we'd be like, oh, Aaron Neesmith is going to be the best player in the draft. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, we just thought he was, like, a shooter who could play a little bit of defense. And it's right. like, wait, what is going on here? So, yeah. like, yeah, I think, I think he's going to be a good player. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. As far as the actual game goes, I don't have that much to add. Like it was like Jalen and Jason were excellent. I thought they played off each other a little bit more than yeah. usual, which was interesting. And, and Rob Williams just makes like a difference, even in like 16 minutes. Like he had five offensive rebounds. Like it just feels very obvious, but the Celtics are a lot better when their players are available. That just helps to have your good guys around. I do think Jalen and Jason did a really good job playing off each other, which I like, I enjoy watching that. Like part of me wishes they did that more. It's not that simple. It can't just flip a right, switch yeah, every game. Sure. Defenses do certain things to eliminate that. So that's easier said than done. I don't want to go full negative here because there, there was a lot of good things, but this game also did show some of the inconsistencies we were talking about earlier in the episode, like early in the game, their defensive engagement was like chef's kiss. Terrific. It was great to see <laughs> third quarter. In parts of the second half, their defensive engagement engagement just like went away. There was no defensive activity at all. And I think that's part of the in-game ebbs and flows that really do hurt this team because then when they stop engaging on the defensive end, a lot of times they get hit. And as we know, this team doesn't really respond too well when they get hit. So they were able to like push back tonight, but that was just something I kind of noticed in the second half that seems to be a pretty solid consistency with this group. It was weird, right? Like the first quarter, it just looked like they were having, like they were playing super hard and it looked like they were having fun. Second quarter, yeah, like it, like the effort seemed to like wane a little bit. I mean, maybe they got tired. I don't know. But like second night of a back-to-back and everything. But like, yeah, it was like, wait a minute. This doesn't look like as much fun. Like, why don't you like go back to the, very the fun weird. part? Like, yeah, very weird. A weird team, man. Yeah. Weird season, weird team, a lot of weird stuff going on. I, I will say it did seem like Jalen Brown was playing with like a purpose from the tip. He was playing very hard. He was getting really fired up after I think he had like back-to-back threes early on. He was getting really pumped up. He was fighting for loose balls. Like sort of, as we alluded to earlier, I think Jalen hears the commentary about this team and is taking it a little bit personally and maybe using it as motivation. Like last night, he said that like, we need to be better. We need to be better leaders. And there were like people on Twitter being like, actions speak louder than words. Not that Jalen actually needs to like respond to these people, but I feel like he is. Like, I think he hears it and he sees it and I think he wants to prove them wrong or whatever, but it was very obvious he was trying like exceptionally hard. I despise people throwing out those criticisms on Twitter to Jalen Brown after he scores 39 points. Basically the only guy besides Peyton Pritchard, like playing hard against the Thunder. And then people are like, well, you got to show us then. (laughs) Shut up. Meanwhile, when Jalen tries to like stand up from his chair after the Zoom, he goes, yeah, because he's literally carrying the entire team. (laughs) Like, just God. (laughs) Shut up. Yeah, come on. 
well here think about it this way right like if you're like tweeting like at players like yeah you suck (laughs) it's basically like you're standing by the tunnel when they're leaving and you're like yelling really hurtful stuff but they can actually hear you yeah it's like why are you just being a i don't know you're just being a dick you're just being an asshole like you know that nobody likes that guy who's like yeah like no everybody liked it when Brad Beal like stopped and like stared up at the guy like really I suck like yeah so don't be the guy yelling yeah I know there's people like DMing them on Instagram and stuff being like you need to play harder I watched that third quarter and it was pitiful like for athletes that's got to be the worst part oh, it's, it's got to like, be awful because back in the day you could just get away for a little bit like you just be in your house right <laughs> like, and nobody can like yell at you but now yeah. it's like yeah if, if i take out my phone everybody's yelling at me like shouts to jabari parker he's like i'm not i don't have any social media yeah <laughs> deeply respected yeah all right guys well so after going completely negative and completely positive um the celtics are still the sixth seed and they are still a game behind the hawks and two games behind the knicks they're still tied with the heat they're still right on the verge of the play-in game and also right on the verge of the fourth seed and home court advantage in the first round with the easiest schedule ahead of them so realistically like we've learned nothing we just like know nothing about this team they could be anything on any given night you would hope the easiest schedule in the league for the remainder of the season would help them. But I honestly don't know because I feel like all I do with this team is just kind of shrug. So I'm going to continue to shrug that for the is, remainder of the regular been, season. That's been my best take of the season was when I was just like, this team just is what it is. A I giant shrug. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I feel good about having rattled that one off. Uh, maybe some of our other takes haven't held up that well, but the big shrug emoji, A1. All right, guys. Well, we can leave it there. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you all again later this week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.